Linux Out Loud is firing off our microphones, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banner friendly, the conversation, well, somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about Linux users not quite liking change. Let's get into episode 65. Links Out Loud is brought to you by Linode and Bitwarden. With me on this episode is Nate, the OpenSUSE person with an unhealthy obsession with a mascot, and Wendy, the photographer extraordinaire for the network. What's going on, guys? Just because I cuddle with a plushie does not mean I have an obsession, all right? It's just cuddling with a plushie. I could call you an unresponsive <laughs> Windows system. Oh, well, that would be... You could. Actually, you did. You have, and I've seen that in our group chat. I don't know what yes, you're talking about. So. Completely... <laughs> unfair unfounded and something else i don't know and something else <laughs> and totally not wrong <laughs> for context those messages are done in discord and sometimes discord's mobile notifications do not quite work i will give him that i have definitely had some issues with discord and notifications i have even complained about the notification that i have for private messages that I have not been able to find where that notification comes from. And actually, after I complained about it last time, there was somebody else that had complained about having this phantom notification. I don't think it was in Discord, too. I think it was in a different application. So phantom notifications. It's across the board. I've seen it in Telegram. I've seen it in Element, too. Or sorry, Matrix clients mm -hmm. as well. So it happens across yeah. the board. I only have it in Discord. Matrix is fine. Telegram is great. Yeah, I've never had a phantom message in Telegram. Discord, it's like, you got a message. Okay, where is it? And then I scroll through and I can't find it. Well, it says there's a notification, but then when I go to like the little notification thing, it's not actually there. It's like, well, where is it? How did that get triggered? I don't know. Must not be important. How many channels are you guys actually a part of? Out of curiosity, like channels, not all the other nonsense. There's a lot of community channels on Discord now, so. 27. Generally, what ends up happening is when there's, for Discord notifications like that, sometimes a channel will tag in at everybody. So then you'll get a notification for that channel because it sends it out to everybody. This phantom notification is in my private messages. Oh, it's okay. It's in my private gotcha. messages. Yeah. And I've gone through them. I've clicked on every single person and I've looked for a new message. I've checked message requests. I've checked all of that stuff. I cannot find this supposedly new message. Well, then uh, all I can say is Discord fixed your crap. <laughs> <laughs> Because I know for me, when I've had like phantom messages, it's actually been a like a channel announcement or notification or whatever that gets plastered. Yeah. And it's like sometimes it just won't go away unless I literally hold down like on mobile, I'll hold down and tell it to mark as red and it goes away finally. One of my biggest issues with Discord, not even the phantom message, is I will get notifications that pop up on my phone when I'm tagged into them. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'd really like to respond to that. And I go about my day, get whatever done that I need to do. And then I go back to Discord and I can't figure out which thread it was in. Yeah, Discord's threaded messaging can be a little obnoxious. Mm -hmm. But what's not obnoxious, Wendy, is when you go and do things like hunt for art tablets or drawing tablets specifically. I don't know if I would say that that's not obnoxious because <laughs> it might be just a little bit. So we were traveling this last weekend, holiday weekend. Um, as everybody know, we skipped a week, took some time off, got some other things done. When we were at my in-laws, I installed a bunch of new brushes on Krita on my tablet for my daughter. 
And one of the downsides is even though I have a nicer Android tablet, it has quite a bit of RAM and all of that stuff, there were some of those brushes that were really, really lagging behind. The charcoal brushes, for one, were having some issues. And so I was talking to my daughter, you know, we've built this system in the living room. It definitely has enough power for her to be doing some more art stuff. She has been working on some more custom artwork and thinking about selling some of her art at the craft fairs and stuff this coming fall. Maybe let's dive into some of these other graphics tablets that are out there. And I've used Wacom, Wacom, whatever you want to call it in the past, where I'm not looking at the tablet itself. I'm looking at the screen as I'm drawing and we have two of them. So my daughter has used one of those in the past and she doesn't really like it for her artwork. Yeah, she can use it, but she really likes to be looking at the artwork itself. So some of these other graphics tablets we were looking at have the physical screen on them and there are some of them out there that say they have Linux availability from the get-go. XP Pen was one of them that said it worked well with Linux. And in some of them, it's kind of interesting because yeah, you've got shortcuts on the side and they are touch sensitive, but basically what they come out to be is a secondary screen. So yeah, you're drawing on the screen, but you basically have your credit application opened up on this quote unquote screen as you're drawing and doing your artwork. So we've been looking into some of those. XP Pen is one of those that I have been looking at. I know Wacom is a really good company. They do make high quality stuff, but at the same time, you're paying for that name brand and a $600, $700 drawing tablet is not somewhere we want to go right now. I would like to be more in the $250 to $300 range to start her out on something like that. So we are doing some looking. I'm not exactly sure which one yet. This is one thing that I'd love to have a shout out from the listeners. If you're using one, what are you using? Do you like it? I don't know. I'm not an artist. I don't do that kind of stuff. I wish I could. My daughter was working on a piece of artwork on the living room floor this morning. And I was like, holy crap. I just, I have no idea how in the heck you can do things like that. <laughs> and just like, bam, bam, there we go. There's a highly detailed shaded dragon skull out of nowhere. The idea of having a, a graphical tablet that acts as a screen also, external screen, and somehow the touch is yeah. only on that screen. Anyway, is it a mirror of both? I think you could do mirrored or maybe set it up as a secondary screen. I'm not entirely sure how we would set it up because, like I said, I've never used one. We don't have one, but I know... It's something she would benefit from, definitely having more of the horsepower that we've got in that new system. That's the kids and having full functionality instead of just using the little tablet. But the detail and the shading and stuff she's going into on some of those brushes, she needs more than what just an high-end Android tablet has to offer. So that's why we're looking at some of the ones with the screens no idea how setup would work, which is why I would love to hear from somebody who has one. So, Wendy, out of curiosity, you mentioned that two to three hundred dollar range, roughly, correct? Mm -hmm. There's a few that I'm looking at right now that might work that are actually 
under that. How big are you looking for? Are you looking for like a 15.6 inch screen? Or are you looking just for like what you would normally get with a Wacom Wacom, however you want to pronounce it, those 10 inch, 11 inch ones? I'd say a 10 inch at minimum, but if we could get her one that was a little bit bigger, that would be nice. Especially as the artwork she's doing is getting more detailed and having that better resolution to zoom in and on things. Some of those on the reviews that I've seen look really good. I think there's an X-Pen 10 that's running like just under 200. Sidebar conversation. I'm looking at one now and here's your bad mat. I know you're trying to avoid Amazon plague, mm. but there is one that is specifically details Linux support in the all the descriptions and any of the search for the reviews and stuff. It's got almost a thousand reviews and it's four and a half stars, 4.3. Oh, nice. The only down is it's an 11.6 as far as size but it's a hundred and with a 20 dollar coupon it's 149 dollars. that's not bad at all and it would still be a good tablet for her to start from i don't know that it necessarily needs to be super fancy i do worry about lag mm -hmm. on some of these the lag issue generically will come down to like pressure sensitivity and all that kind of stuff so yeah but i can send you that link definitely do i'll check it out I would like to get it for her this summer, but we'll just kind of see what happens. Um, it might wait till the next school year so we can use some school funds for it. We have a bunch of craft stuff on the wish list. One right now is a much better press, heat press for all of the stuff she's doing. One that can also do hats and mugs and all of that crazy stuff do you know that's one with a screen that's not one that's just like a like the traditional tablets yeah that's what she wants anyway is one with a screen well i think that's super cool if you get one when you get one and you start playing with it i'm interested in knowing how you set up the the touch to be only on that screen and so it doesn't like i know plasma's default right now if you have a touch screen like one touch screen and one not touch screen it will uh blend that matrix across the different displays which is really annoying and there's not a way to, to like fix that in a graphical sense interesting that's something like that i find kind of irritating like so like i have a wacom tablet or wacom i like wacom better you know, like whack him upside the head i don't want to do the mat every time yeah when i see matt i want to <laughs> whack him with the tablet anyway no not really i don't want to commit any acts of violence against matt ever total lie total lie <laughs> anyway on my laptop if i plug in the tablet everything works great if i have a second screen added on the computer, like on the laptop, it will calculate across both screens, the tablet. I don't know how to tweak that at this time. Frankly, I was too impatient to figure it out. So if someone has like a really good way of doing that, that'd be great. You know, actually I set up a touch interface for a CF-19 Toughbook some time ago, which required some manual tweaking for it all to work. Maybe I could implement something like that. I don't know. The point is it works really great if I have a single monitor. It doesn't work great if I have dual monitors because of the configured calibrated there we go that's what i'm looking for calibrated yeah. anyway so i'd be interested in seeing how that turns out for you she'll definitely be getting one and i hope to have her one before december so somewhere in this time period is when she'll be getting one picked up it just kind of depends on the price of the tablet and the reviews of it makes sense having a decent color gamut would be nice too because she is printing some of that off she and i have started talking about cmyk and making sure you set things up to be able to print them and all of that fun stuff 
So we are working on that. She's done some really, really cool things lately. Actually, the dragon school she's working on right now was a challenge from my brother when we saw him this weekend. And I can't wait until it's done. Lots of artwork and now just one more piece of tech to help facilitate that artwork using this new system that they built. Speaking of hardware... Because Matt got a framework, have you decided you need a framework? Oh, wait, he didn't get a framework. He bought another minis form. You're looking at the frameworks. So I committed to the purchase actually probably about a month ago. And so I know that it's coming here in June. I don't know when it's coming in June, but it'll be a 13th generation Intel i7. It's not the top end one because like the price difference was pretty large to go from the top to like just below. And I'm good with not being on the bleeding edge of technology because, you know, I like to not bleed to death. (laughs) Or I should say the cutting edge of technology so you don't bleed to death. That sounds better. Anyway, so I'm really excited about it. It's going to have... I think 32 gig of RAM. I actually got the two terabyte SSD for it because I want to have more NVMe SSD, that thing, because I want the additional storage. Am I going to do a lot of like production work on this? Probably not. And that's also not because I'm angry with my HP Elite Book. I still like my Elite Book. But what I want to do is I want to actually set my Elite Book up in one area and not take it down. Like I have a docking station for it and I stack the monitors when it's in a docked situation. And I find myself taking it off and then putting it back and taking it off and putting it back a lot. And sometimes I just want a different laptop just to do a thing. And also I'm annoyed because right. the keyboard looks goofy with a silly T key on there that I'm having the intermittent issues on some other keys as well. And I haven't torn that apart yet because, well, I don't want to tear it apart when I need it. Right now, well, time is very limited. So this allows me some freedom to tear into that. Well, I use my framework laptop as my go-to machine. So I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a little bit smaller, which I think is good because I don't need the size of a 14 inch, which is good size, I think. So the 13 and a half, I think will be fine. I definitely don't want a 16 inch. That's way too big. But Nate, dedicated GPU. Which I think is great for somebody who needs that on the go. But if I need dedicated GPU or if I need more graphic horsepower, I'm going to go to a desktop anyway. So for me, it's I want a laptop to be portable and a desktop to be powerful if that makes any sense. Nate, you do realize you're not becoming retro as much as you were, right? By buying newer stuff. Okay. <laughs> less retro. Here's the thing. Yes, I am. Because it was really easy to open up and service a Commodore 64. It's really easy to open up and service a framework laptop. Actually, it might be easier with a laptop, the framework laptop, than a Commodore 64. That's one of the things that has appealed to me with the framework laptops. And not only can you fix them fairly easily you can replace parts and upgrade them and keep that same chassis for years to come but still be like hey i actually need a little bit more power let's upgrade the cpu hey i need a little more power on this side let's upgrade the gpu and not have to be doing that battle of oh it's all in this proprietary shape and i have to get the right one to fit this board in just the right position so if they don't make it then You can't have it. Exactly. Joking aside, I totally get the uh, ease of fixing and upgrading and all the other stuff. I mean, I did that with that elite book that I had that was like literally a decade old that still was running somewhat modern video cards and stuff. So I definitely get why and whatnot as far as repairability and stuff matters. Of course, I'm just giving you crap like I always do. You almost hurt my feeling. Apathy is not a feeling, (laughs) Nate. Oh, okay. Speaking from experience. (laughs) But yeah, I'm really excited about it. I think that I believe that this, maybe not framework necessarily, maybe not this particular design with this concept, I really believe this is the future of laptops. 
And I think that old, broken down garbage styles like Apple produces are going to be a thing of the past where they sod everything together. And I think this is going to yeah. be the future. Sure, is it going to have as much battery life as, as an Apple M1 or M2 or one and a half? I don't know. Probably not. I actually, I guarantee not. Will it have as much power? Probably not. But to me, it's more important to be able to have a sustainable machine that I know is made for me that I can change the components. So if I want HDMI or if I want USB-C or even if I want a magnet connect power plug on it, which somebody had made one for that you can download the files for and solder together yourself, you can do that. You can do what you want to serve you, the individual, not to serve the price of a stock on an exchange someplace. So this is the future and broken down archaic designs like Apple are going to be a thing of the past. I sure hope so. Well, Matt, I know that framework gives me every tool that I need to do work on it. I don't know if they use Torx or not, but you apparently don't like Torx security screws. No, I don't. You should just buy a set of Torx security screw drivers. That's all I got to do. Well, so here's the thing. (laughs) I actually have a 110 bit set of different screwdriver heads and all the other stuff. Uh And I do have torque screws. I have T8, T10, and all that stuff. Unfortunately, the laptop that I bought, I bought a two terabyte NVMe drive to add to the second slot that is free in the laptop. These use T6 torque screws, which I do not have (laughs) a screwdriver set for. So I was like, okay, I'll use, you know, a flathead. And as long as you get to either side of the angle, you can pretty much, it'll just unscrew you. Just be careful not to strip the heads. 12 screws for the bottom of this machine. I got nine of them out before, oh, hey, look, I'm starting to, yeah, that's going to strip the head if I keep doing that. (laughs) So I got nine screws into tearing apart the base of this laptop, which uh, is going to be a non-Windows machine here shortly. So now I am staring at a two terabyte NVMe on my desk that I can't do anything with until my new screwdriver set shows up in a couple of days. Yeah, I am not a fan of torque screws. Are Phillips heads <laughs> really that hard? Well, I'm glad you at least have a new set of screwdrivers or at least bits for your screwdrivers coming. I was about to suggest that you go to iFixit, not sponsored, and pick up one of their sets. I absolutely love both sets that I have, but once you have some proper screwdrivers for every tech geek who's working on their hard where you should be good to go. Yeah, like I said, just super annoying because it's like I bought the last set because I had to deal with torque screws and I was dealing with more and more torque screws as I was, you know, I was tearing mm-hmm. apart my PS3 because they used, I think, Triwing. I can't remember exactly what they used, uh, but it was like a mix of Triwing and it was a mix of torque and just obnoxious stuff. So I was like, all right, whatever, I'll go get an updated set. Little did I realize I was going to need even a smaller set. <laughs> Than what I initially had, because like I said, I have, uh, I think the smallest bit I have is T8 for the Torx screws. And that's like super small and it just yeah. doesn't work. And it's just super annoying. It's like, man, can we just go back to like literally flatheads and Phillips and just call it good? <laughs> like, <laughs> I actually have a really, really good set and I'm glad I had gotten that set for a gift here a few years ago before I got my 3D printer or I would be in the same boat as you where I need a good set of screwdrivers before I could work on it. Yeah, it's just super annoying. It's just like, ah, man. You know, it's kind of like in Linux. Everything's got to have a, you know, we have 14 standards. I create another standard, so (laughs) we have 15 standards. Literally with screwdrivers, like, bits and, you know, screws and stuff, it's just like, they're laptops. 
uniformity ain't going to kill you on some things. It really isn't. Oh, it might. (laughs) You never know. I hate to be the naysayer and the contrarian in this because I actually prefer Torx bits for numerous reasons. One, I have have a lot of Torx sets. And also, you know, once upon a time, I was in the appliance manufacturing business, which we use very few Torx. We do use some, but let me tell you why I like Torx. It actually allows you to put a lot more pressure on those screws. And also you're, you really actually are, if you use the right driver with the right head, then you're actually less inclined to wear out that screw than you are with a cross recessor or Phillips head. So Torx really is a superior screw. The problem is when manufacturers put the little security nub in the center of it, and you actually lose Mm. a lot of the benefit of what makes Torx good when you have that hole in there because you're reducing the amount of metal cross-sectional area for the driver. And as a consequence, you increase your risk of wearing out that screw head. I have many instances where I've stripped heads out of Phillips or flat head style screws. Plenty of times. Yeah. yeah. I should say, I wish this had Torx. But again, the thing is when they put the security bit, the security like little nub in the center, that's not good. I even like when I built my 1541 Imposter to accompany my Commodore 64, I actually purposefully got Torx screws for it. I can understand the benefits. And like you said, the security ones are the most obnoxious and obviously the easiest ones to strip. It's just obnoxious when you don't have the stuff right off because it's like, oh, most people that are not in tech are going to have flatheads and Phillips. Like that's the generic most screwdriver set kind of stuff. And actually, as long as you're not going to McGilla Gorilla that screw, you don't really need Torx. Phillips is fine, but there are a lot of people who just like twist that Phillips head mm-hmm. to a point where unscrewing it is where you end up stripping the head. If you don't put enough downward pressure on there. So also with Torx, you don't have to put much downward pressure onto the screw to remove it. But with Phillips, you actually have to put quite a bit of downward pressure because if you actually look at it, what a, how a Phillips head is, it requires that downward pressure. Otherwise, it can actually pop out. That's why they tri- strip out. So... That's just my, I'd say, two cents, because that's about what a little Torx screw costs. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that one, Nate. Uh, golly, <laughs> Nate, you are so smart and informed. I'm so glad I know you. Something like that. Then I'd be lying. I know, but it's a lie I could live with. Well, I have plenty of <laughs> truths you can live with, too, and none of them positive. So It's good I don't have a choice. Hi there, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by Linode. Visit linode.com slash tux and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure needs. Are you wanting to build your own website? Of course you are. Most entry-level hosting services are fine. For a while. But if you want to be in control, do what you want, and actually own your website, Linode is where you step up to powerful, totally customizable cloud hosting. So whether you're into gaming, stuck on a proprietary website builder, or just need something to put on the cloud and access it anywhere. Linode is there for you. Every plan comes with Linode's amazing human-powered customer support. If you need help, someone will be there to pick up the phone, respond to your email, or reply to you on social media 24-7-365. Visit linode.com tux to create a free account. Plus, you'll get 60-day, $100 credit to your account. Thanks for listening. Speaking of me disliking things, Linux users tend to dislike things, especially as it relates to change, be it init systems, be it greeters and everything else under the sun. There's always somebody that will dislike, fork and make their own something else. But something that is probably a benefit, despite the grumblings of those of us who bar get off my lawn, 
is immutable file systems are becoming a thing because Canonical said within the next year, they would like to try a containerized version of Ubuntu with an immutable file system, a la Silverblue or Endless OS or the many others that are coming down the line. Open to some micro OS, which actually has recently been renamed. Yeah, that's why I didn't mention it because I don't remember the new name. (laughs) (laughs) They broke it down to a couple different names. Micro OS Desktop now has OpenSUSE Aeon, which is the GNOME, and OpenSUSE Kelpa, Helpa, which is the Plasma. K for the Plasma. See what they did there? Wow, shock. There's only two desktops right now that are in the OpenSUSE world that are officially supported for desktop GNOME and Plasma. Surprise, surprise. But the reason we bring this up is because Canonical mentioning it, and despite what people in the community will say about Ubuntu and all the other stuff, I think kind of immutable file systems are actually probably an underutilized perk that we don't understand a whole lot from a consumer like i'm looking at this as from a consumer product level like this is a better feature than anything time shift uh not time shift uh was it time machine or any of the windows stuff by default anyway has that a lot of things we've only seen in cell phones specifically android and i know that's going to cringe wendy but she loves android phones though it's not that i love (laughs) android phones i very much do dislike apple and a lot of that has to do with the ui i can't stand to use it just absolutely cannot stand to use the apple ui wendy yes you hate the apple interface because you're holding it wrong Steve Jobs says you're holding it wrong. So if you hold it the way he prescribes, you might like it. Well, maybe he can come haunt me and tell me how to use it properly. The best way to (laughs) hold it is to open a window and throw it out the window. So then therefore it catches air. Oh, yeah. yeah. So like an iPhone Air Pro. I could use it that way. (laughs) I could totally use it that way. But my biggest issue with the way they're currently doing their file systems actually comes to the rooting and ROMing process. And this is one of those things that Michael and Ryan are going to be doing very soon on some Google Pixel 6 phones. I hadn't rooted and rommed a phone for a really long time. So when I got my OnePlus 9, it was definitely one of those things that I wanted to get done. And installing the new ROM was a royal pain because of that AB file system. I ran into quite a few different errors and issues in getting that done. Now, right now, I am running Lineage OS and I have not had an issue with an OTA from them. And yes, it's still using that AB partition as it downloads, installs it on the one that's not being used. You reboot and you're into the new partition. That part in and of itself is somewhat nice, right? It can install it, completely reinstall the ROM. The OTA ROMs from Lineage are all like, just under one and a half gigs, right? They're actually really pretty big, but it doesn't matter if you go multiple versions between updating. You're just like, oh, you know, it's been a few months. I'm going to update to the latest nightly. You don't have to worry about, oh no, am I going to miss something because of the way that they do their updates. But at the same time, it means that with this phone, I have been far less likely to play with it. In the world of computers, that may not be as big of an issue because you have your hard drive and you are deciding what are the different partitions. And so it's not like 
this Android phone where it's now a pain in the butt to wipe maybe Windows as you're getting ready to do Matt off of it and struggling to get that to work because of the ABU partitions and needing to get this installed on that first. I would worry about that with the chips that are coming directly from Mac and maybe some of the new chips that are coming directly from Google. So this complaint is more of a complaint on my mobile device than it is on a PC itself. And I'm not saying that I don't like backups because the Garuda system that I'm currently using does have automatic backups and I can go through and roll back. So none of that's an issue. But at the same time, I know that you've talked about on the Steam Deck. I know we're going to get there. You guys are going to talk about it anyway. So I might as well just get my two cents in now. But you can install apps and then the next update, they're gone. And I don't necessarily like that. I'm not a huge fan of most of the flat packs and that kind of stuff. I don't want to install all of my applications that way. So then if I'm installing them directly from the repos, when I go to log in after an update, is all of that stuff going to be gone? So as far as flat pack installs on the Steam Deck, you mean, are they going to be gone if you install those from the desktop. I want to make sure I'm getting the question. So flat packs will stay, but I think Wendy's concerned. Yeah. If you make changes to the file system, when you download a new image, yes, all the changes you made will be gone. Mm -hmm. That is an unfortunate issue. That is my complaint right there. What I can say to that is as far as if you're strictly talking UI, I know the UI I have and I've had multiple iterations of the, and again, we're only talking Steam Deck because it is the biggest thing that is currently Linux that it has an immutable file system in the hands of millions of people. That is the only reason we're using this as an example. So I want to make that clear before we- Someone's gonna argue with that. Yes, somebody will, but we're not talking about <laughs> Android phones and all the other stuff. We're talking x86 based okay. stuff as it relates to this. All right. Clarification for those that are gonna potentially whine and cry about it. <laughs> as far as like UI changes, you mean like if you customize say, plasma or whatever move the bar you know install x application whatever if you do those changes no those changes are not removed from the changes that you made so if i right click and move the panel to the left like i generically do my panel is still to the left with all the app image and installations and all that stuff that stuff does not change okay at least from my experience that i know some people would be concerned about that as far as like the access to applications and all that stuff, I have found that generically it doesn't matter to me as far as, hey, I have applications I can install them. I don't really care if they're containerized. I mean, I use snaps, I use flat packs, I use app average. I, I use them all, so it doesn't really matter to me all that much. But is there really a benefit sometimes to the native package formats over say the universal stuff? Besides sometimes like theme integration and a few other complaints that are generically a, a thing, especially on an Arch system. I see immutable file systems as a solid way on the consumer end. I'm uh, specify this for Linux PCs to have a one up and a feature that neither of the primary other two have takes the pain out of some of the Linux issues that can be there. It, despite what some of them in the crowd may say, Linux does have its issues when it comes to sometimes like any OS, regardless of flavor, breaking and breaking and doing other stuff that it shouldn't. So having that immediate rollback state is tremendously helpful. You can have that rollback state without it being 
an immutable file system. We've been doing it. In OpenSUSE. That to me <laughs> is like the big reason why I personally am not ready to go onto the immutable train. To configure and set up a system the way I want with the packages I want is not really completely possible unless you are somebody like Adam Grubbs, who is a Silver Blue, Fedora Silver Blue fan. He builds his own immutable images. He's at a level of super nerd that I'm not there yet, but he builds his images specific for a piece of hardware and he can test everything on GitHub in like its own runtime of some kind. I don't know the details of how he does it. And then once that passes, that image will be sent to his laptop on a daily basis. So if it passes on GitHub, then it'll be on his system. And then when he reboots, it'll go into that new image and he never ever actually have to deal with it because of how he's built this kind of ecosystem of managing his machine. And what that does, and these special drivers, some, some laptop has some that, I think it's like an Acer or I, I can't remember what it is, but it has some special drivers needed to fully utilize all the components on it. And so he does all that work in GitHub and then pulls the image down automatically or magically maybe. And that works great for him. <laughs> to me, that's a very compelling issue. So if somebody else has the exact same machine, they could pull that exact same image down. It wouldn't have any of his like login details. It would just be the core functioning package arrangement or whatever it is, you know, the, a recipe of packages that would go onto that machine. And then you could use the exact same thing he does. You know, if you're looking at it from another perspective, you know how with ARM, you have a lot of competing or not competing is not the right word, but all these varying architectures of ARM. ARM is not really an architecture. It's kind of like a... It's not a standard. <laughs> it's kind of like a biome. It's barely a standard. Anyway, so you have all these, all these different chips you have to build for. With this sort of system of how he builds immutable images, potentially, we're not there, but potentially some kind of Im this immutable file system method of distributing distributions, I guess, you just have to build a framework that runs on that chip architecture. And then something else is compiling it specific for that architecture and can be rebuilt on something like a GitHub or if you're going to self-host a GitLab or whatever, you could do all those things and pull it down. So in a way, it kind of democratizes some of your um, requirements or some of the freedom and flexibility to build things and also to share your work and have other people test different specific configurations and has really the potential. It's not there, but it has the potential to actually make Linux friendlier and even on more devices because of the way you can distribute these things. That said, I'm sticking with Tumbleweed, but... I'm just saying it has <laughs> the potential to do that. It's a direction that we need to I'm be very careful I say this, but I think it's the right direction. But I think a lot of the support functions, support bits are not there yet. Frankly, I love Flatpak and Snaps and AppImage. I think they're great. I use them all the time. On a daily basis, I use them. But Flatpak has terrible theme integration. It's terrible. In fairness, Nate, they all do. Every nope. one of them. Snaps are pretty great. Out of the three, Snaps are the best as far as theme integration because of how they package all the theme stuff now. Well, it has been for a while now. I know. That's what I'm saying. But there's still issues when you use certain themes. That could be. But Snaps has other issues like fonts randomly stop working. That's yes. a totally different issue. And maybe they fixed that. But I have had it in the last year happen to me. I think AppImage also tends to do a better job. But that's really based on the on whoever packages the AppImage does a better job of theme integration as well. Flatpak just doesn't do it right. Like there's like broken bits in it. You may have a dark theme, but if you go to the menu, it's using the inverse mm -hmm. of whatever you, you want. It's just very ugly. I think... These uh, immutable desktops, I do think that they're the future, but until the application ecosystem catches up to where the capabilities of what immutability has to offer, I don't think I'm ready for that. You know, because the modularity of how, you know, flatback module on, a, I guess you could even do like a plasma module, probably not the best way of doing it, but I mean, there's, there's ways of doing this. 
where it could be a lot better. It's just not there yet and, and kind of annoying. I agree. I think what this helps with, and I'm looking at it ecosystem-wise, is devices in the hands of consumers. It automates the process a lot. Yes, while we have things like BetterFS with its backups and uh, Snapper and all that stuff, that usually requires some level of user interaction. A lot of this is just behind the scenes. It doesn't know the user isn't going to know like the, Oh, update it updated. Whereas, Oh, I have to insert application here and roll back to prior state and all the other stuff. Like how many people that aren't windows quote unquote power users actually know how to roll back to a prior state? Not a whole lot. I think this helps expand potentially the footprint that can get Linux into the hands of more consumers, everyday users, whatever you want to call them still has the benefits of that free base that we enjoy, really, because an OEM can ship, you know, an update, an ISO or whatever, very much like Valve does. But the user can also just input a command, break the system if they want to, and not use the update mechanism that insert company decides to use. Like you mentioned, Nate, it, it kind of democratizes that ability. It's almost like the right to repair for a software level. It's there for people who want to tinker it and butcher it or blow it up or whatever they can but people who just want to use it as an appliance also can giving that mindset that we constantly in Linux always have to have control the control isn't being taken away it's just changing and adding options in a different way you might view it as a roadblock I view it as the companies are shipping a default experience I can decide whether or not I like that default experience or not whereas Things like Apple, when they have things on like the security screws and everything else and the security chips and Microsoft dictating terms of what Windows 11 is compatible with. I think I'm going to take whatever Linux company decides to ship this instead, because that's a very small impediment compared to the other options. Yeah. And that said, as excited as I am about how this is going, I am also hesitant because I feel like between the traditional Debian or Ubuntu distribution and the immutable is kind of where Tumbleweed sits with the snapshots. As far as the, like the user interface app uh, bit of it, it's not in your face enough for a standard user to know to switch like, oh, something's broken. After an update, is something broken? You can roll back, you know, something like a Clippy or something like that telling you that. But it is there. That function is there. And on the rare occasion that something does happen, it's nice to be able to roll it back to as many states as opposed to just an AB state there you can actually go back several states with the snapshotting type system. I totally agree with that. I'm not saying like snapshotting doesn't have its place and all that stuff. I'm saying this is the best option for the non-techies essentially because it at least gives them a rollback state whereas things like Windows and Mac have a automatic backup but it's not good let's just be real <laughs> um right you know it requires user intervention and stuff this gives you that ab state on an automated process for the non-techies is how i view it and i think that is a perfectly viable option and i think having the ability to just shut stuff off it's like oh i want to nuke and pave this i want to do x y or z to the file system then that's perfectly acceptable too. Like it doesn't change anything from a, a pseudo Pac-Man tack SYU type command or a, a zipper command or a DNF command. It's a different avenue for, I think, the consumer space as it relates to Linux. Might be a great way, like as you've basically said numerous times, and I'm agreeing with you, which is kind of weird, but for a consumer 
device where people don't really want to mess with it and they don't really add software necessarily or where they make changes to the configuration. This might be perfect you know, for somebody like a Dell or an HP or System76 even to roll out a consumer-ready machine, like a Chromebook, really. This might be the way to go. Without all the, well, googliness of a Chromebook. Right, without all the vomit-inducing <laughs> aspects of it, right. Though, do you know, Ryan recently did a review of a Chromebook and had good things to say about a Chromebook. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> weird, but, you know, whatever. Wendy, where's your hardware addict's privacy-focused hardware addict's co-host that usually would um, want to throw a Chromebook out the window? Yes, he does have issues with Google, for sure, and some of the privacy stuff associated with that, and I don't blame him there, because I also have some concerns with those realms. But... One of his biggest complaints about Chromebooks is the fact that typically they're so slow and they're so limited in what they can do and it doesn't feel like a viable option. You know, cheap kind of throwaway laptop that has some very, very basic things where you're just getting on, you're essentially doing your schoolwork and getting out. So I haven't actually watched his review on this laptop, but from the conversation we had on the last Hardware Addicts, I would say that it's more, he likes this one because it feels more like a laptop than any other Chromebook he's touched in the past and battery life. If you also listen to the last Hardware Addicts, that's one of the things that we really got to talking about was battery life on some of these devices and how we don't have much for battery life on most PC laptops and that realm of things. But I did definitely give them crap about picking up a Pixel 6 after all of the Apple love the previous episode. <laughs> all that Apple love. I mean, I understand some of the reasons for Apple. This is a total side tangent, but like we can keep this show on track ever. Ever. Somewhat on topic. Somewhat on topic. This is not even on topic. I mean, it's kind of on topic tangentially, but it's kind of like another highway that's splitting off kind of tangentially. The Apple does not play well with Linux at all. I mean, sure, maybe the KDE right. Connect for it, but trying to use Apple with Linux, it is not a good user experience. And I think that there are way better options with third-party ROMs on Android hardware that will keep you from getting hooked or addicted to Apple ecosystem-specific things that will vendor lock you into something that you can get stuck in. Yeah, I just want to avoid all that. Not that I have opinions. Nate, in fairness, to continue the side tangent, you did give Apple credit for the use of ARM and what they've done with ARM, just sure. strictly from an engineering point of view. Yes, you got to give the devil its due. And when they do a good thing, when they're able to actually take ARM, which is every other implementation that's like a 20-year-old product, although lower power, doesn't have all the power state features, they gave it all that. They pretty much gave it a lot of the things that are needed to make it a modern platform and have done a great job with it. They have some smart people there. They do some good work. Now their hardware, the rest of it, basically garbage. Well, as soon as you solder things together, garbage. It's just, no. It's worth whatever the plastic bag it is that you would put it in to put it in the garbage. That's how much I'd pay for it. So, you know, a couple bucks. And even Wendy will give Microsoft their due as it relates to hardware. That's <laughs> true. I'll give Microsoft its due when it comes to hardware. It actually does make good hardware. I won't lie. It's just better when it's got Linux on it instead of Windows. That is exactly it. I like some of the hardware that comes from Microsoft. I even updated my dad's Microsoft Surface 3 when I went to go visit him since he now has internet. 
And I did call my dad a brat when I was there because he has way faster internet than me and lives more <laughs> in the middle of nowhere than I do. But he gets fiber and I don't. But that's a different subject in, on our side tangent of a side tangent. But it's still an awesome piece of hardware. Updated it. It's another Windows laptop running Linux. Sounds like a pain point for you, Wendy. You know, your dad who doesn't really use the internet as much or as well, or I shouldn't say as well, but as to its fullest as you do, it's way better internet. May or may not actually appreciate how much better it is. And you have to struggle with what you have. It's the way it goes, I guess. That's because he <laughs> lives in a one horse town really close to the elementary school. And when I oh. say it's a one horse town, the only things in this town are literally the school, the church, and the post office. That's what makes up the quote-unquote town. But he's close enough to that that he gets fiber. He gets the fiber because of the school and the post office. and Exactly. <laughs> so he must be within that last mile within those areas. Like, it's not even that last mile. I can see the elementary school from the back of his house. So yeah, he's extremely <laughs> close to that. And that's how he gets it. And the thing is, when I was talking to him and he was like, what internet company do I go with? And I'm like, holy crap, you have fiber coming into your house. Find out who put that in and get your internet from them. The fact that he has <laughs> options. You have options. I know, right? <laughs> I have options, but it's all the exact same internet from every single company. Not that it makes a difference. Though, as we are on the total side tangent of internet, I did talk to someone locally who has Starlink, and they said it was worth the startup cost to go down that route for some of us here in Idaho. So I'm looking into it more seriously now. And now that we totally derailed the conversation, like always. We haven't derailed it. We are in another state, another country. Like, we're way off track. It's not kind of off track. We are way off track. Okay, Wendy, you'll appreciate this because of A, where you live, and B, you live in a desert. This is like a train going down a dirt road. Yes, yes, <laughs> That's yes. how off track we are. Actually, I was thinking about that scene in Polar Express, a kind of weird 3D animated cartoon where kind of uncanny valley, everybody. When the train goes into the ice and then it's like it's skating on ice, you know, with the cars and everything spinning around and, and then they're like going left, right, left, right, whatever. Anyway, that's what it's like. Yeah, I would say in general, that's our conversations or the three of us in a nutshell. Back onto the conversation. So uh, let us know in the comments section and, you know, contact form and all the other fun ways you can communicate with us about your opinions on uh, immutable file systems. Are we right? Are we wrong? Well, you know, Nate's probably wrong. So let us know. Not that I would throw Nate under a bus. You're not wrong. Could be wrong. Oh, that's why I said you're wrong. I decided to say I'm wrong. <laughs> Hello, Magneto here. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we, well, that they use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password, as well as additional authentication such as master password and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your password safe from me. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. $10 premium account includes one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, and TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation and priority customer support. Make the smart move, like many from the community have, and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free.
If you're like my wife, Sinister Wendy, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition only starts at $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for supporting this episode of Linux Out Loud. Magneto out. So speaking of hardware addicts and your co-hosts and all the other fun stuff, Wendy, you brought up something as it relates to 3D printing. I should say I'm shocked. On Hardware Addicts episode 76. I did. Nate missed the conversation. I actually kind of talked to myself on the last episode of Hardware Addicts, but I knew Michael and Ryan, mostly Ryan, were there to listen to me as I talked about the board I actually got. Actually, I didn't really talk about the board I got. I just said that I had picked one out from that list. So if you're behind, you can bounce through a couple different shows to get the full scope of the information that's going on. You know, if you haven't listened to Hard Radics yet, I don't know why. It's a pretty good show. Anyway, so I did, I ordered myself the main board and I ended up going with the Manta M8P and I already have those easy drivers and I still wanted to be able to use those drivers that I had. So another thing that I picked up and they actually just arrived yesterday, I guess it wasn't yesterday, my brain is all over the place. They arrived on Tuesday and we're recording on Thursday, but these fun little things go into those standard driver slots, locations, pinouts, and then you put those easy drivers in them. So I got, I believe, six, which is more drivers than I actually need right now. I've got five currently motors on my 3D printer. So we've got X, Y, two Zs, and my extruder. I hope to eventually put a second extruder on as I've talked about in the past. But now I need to figure out, well, where is all of this stuff going? This board is way too big. And one of the cool things about this board is I did go ahead and order it with their version of a Raspberry Pi compute module so that everything is together all in one. I can have Clipper on both of those different devices. I don't have to have a separate Raspberry Pi out there that I'm also rounding power to. And this should hopefully make putting them in cases a whole lot better. I did find a Manta case that I picked up and I'm doing some modifications outside of the print because it is set up for a power supply that I don't have, but it will fit the board in there quite nicely. It does have quite a few different fan mounts in it. So all of that is pretty awesome. And then pretty early this morning, my power supply case finished printing out. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to print a new power supply case was the one that came with my under five plus has one of those itty bitty little uh, 40 millimeter fans on it. And that is what is cooling the entire power supply. Yes, it is very, very loud. And I want to be able to put a larger fan on that. So I got that power supply case printed and what I thought was an 80 millimeter fan is not. 
it's too big. <laughs> so I need to order myself an 80 millimeter fan for that case. I started to tear everything apart, even though my new main board isn't here because I really, really wanted to get that quieter fan on there. And then it was a bad idea to do because I either need to put everything back together the way that it was or make myself some longer power supply leads in order to get it all kind of worked around into that other case for now. I also picked up some cable covers so I'm able to have some nicer cleaner cable management. One of the issues that I was having especially was this leading into my extruder that looked like an absolute mess and I replaced my thermistor the thermistor would disconnect if you're messing with things up at the top by the extruder itself and everything else the way that Creality does it was disconnecting towards the end of that line as it's leading into the box where your main board is. So I messed with that, have started doing some better cable management, cleaning some of that up trying to make it easier on my machine, less wires hanging out all over the place where something's going to catch and cause problems and in general wear things out. I have seen some other modifications that I would like to print, some different like cable chains and the like in order to help stabilize that, have less bending and all of those things. So I am getting there. I'm getting closer. I cannot wait for my main board to get here and I'm a little irritated right now because I had ordered my main board directly from the company but through eBay and it said that it can take a month to get here. Well the day after I bought it it said that there was some shipping notifications for it but it's now over a week later and yeah they got the shipping information but the shipper has never gotten the package yet. It's just mm. hanging there in limbo land. So you can't even cancel the gosh dang thing because it's quote unquote been shipped. That really ticks me off too along the list of things we've talked about today that make me angry. Some <laughs> of those we can't talk about here right now. But that really does. It bothers me. I'd go ahead and buy it from somebody else if I could just get it canceled so I could get it here. I bought the same adapters for the easy drivers from the exact same company. They actually shipped the following day. I have no idea what's going on with my main board and I can't get anybody to message me back. So we've got some positives and negatives, some ups and downs, but as we've talked about today, I might be a little bit grumpy based on the news that I woke up with this morning. So, you know, bag of worms. Life is like a bag of worms. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> some catch fish and some don't. Yeah, some help you catch fish, some are just maggots. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I haven't had anything stuck in Limbo Land on Amazon before, but a few times with eBay, and I've lost a few packages, you know, and then it's hard to get a refund, and it's a big pain in the butt. The treacherous waters that we have to navigate here in, you know, first world problems. Yes, yes, without a doubt, <laughs> first world problems at all. And like my husband said, if I would just leave my printer alone, it would work and be fine. Though he also has complained about the really noisy drivers on the original board that came with the printer. He is also looking forward to those being quieter, especially where right now it's sitting just outside of our bedroom. So hopefully by the time we talk next week, my board will at least be on the way and I can get all of that put back together and it will be awesome. You have had something going on that's not so awesome, Nate, and that is a solar power 
battery backup failure. Yuck. Yes. So I was on vacation last week and monitoring my solar from a distance, you know, just because it's exciting to see, you know, it's finally sunny out and instead of spending money on electricity, you're actually banking it. Pretty cool. Then uh, I noticed that the battery got stuck at 96%. A couple of days later when I got home, it happened toward the end of my vacation. I think it was like Friday, I think it failed. I got home and I looked, had like a, a red light on the inverter, a little rebus error as it's called, R-E-B-U-S, or was it rebus? Anyway, doesn't matter. I went through the manual and the manual is very, very limited as the information it gets you. It didn't even give me like an error code. It just said there is a failure on the inverter. So I go to reinitialize the battery and it's waiting to communicate when to communicate, but it doesn't actually make communication. So I contact Generac, super friendly. They went through and they tried to do everything they could remotely because they have a few more switches they can pull, which annoys me that they don't give me those switches to pull. It's my battery backup. I paid for it. You just warranty it. Anyway, that also didn't get it to work. So I had to call a Generac service technician. Now it is warrantied, but the part that failed, it will be my luck that that part is not warrantied. I'm largely annoyed that the information is, is so limited on there and I think it's kind of soured me a little bit to the Generac system. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it was once a very sweet operating thing, and now it's a little bit on the sour side. So I guess we'll see how it goes. I don't have a solution yet. I've left messages, and that's as far as it's gotten for the trained technician. Uh, I even said I would be more than happy to dig in there and like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't like that. That's where I'm at with that. I wish it was working, but I am still making solar. That hasn't changed. I'm still putting onto the grid. I'm just now spending a bit more on tax dollars instead of banking it for myself, you know, locally, holding it locally. And anywhere I can get away with like not spending money, that's re really what, I, what I'd like to do. I can't say as I blame you there. And I know that it's been one of the things that I've been concerned about is the battery life of those batteries. Now that one is under warranty, right? So are they going to replace it for you or do you have to pay part of that replacement? How's that gonna work? The batteries themselves are warrantied for 10 years. I don't know if every single component on the battery backup system is warrantied, but the actual cells, those are warrantied. So I'm not worried about that. It could be one of the control modules. And they gave me a very sketchy answer. Oh, okay. It's probably not a battery that failed, not a cell. It's a communication error that's going on. So it could be, mm. you know, who knows what. For all I know, it might be just a bad connection. I don't know. I do know that I'm not getting any usage out of it. And it's not like end of the world. It's just highly annoying. So do you have to send it back for that to be fixed at this point? Oh, or no, no. saying a technician's coming out to look at it? No, I don't have a truck big enough to haul that. Actually, I do. But ah. you can't unmount it. Someone's got to come in there and they've got to probe it with whatever diagnostic utilities that they have, tools that they have, I should say. Gotcha. Well, that's definitely a bummer. I hope they're able to get it fixed and the cost of having the technician come out and fix it isn't too yucky. I would actually like just a callback at this point. That would be great. That's where I'm at. Yeah, because I guess that's... <laughs> Almost been a week now, hasn't it? Uh, Yeah, yeah, almost been a week. I didn't call until Tuesday, so... Oh, okay. So I'll, I'll try again tomorrow. Good luck. Speaking of luck, Matt, do I have any luck or chance that you're going to actually have a game that you recommend that's not filled with questionable material? Actually, I don't have a game <laughs> recommendation this week. Oh, you don't? How lucky. For your wallet, yes, because, you know, you have a bad habit of clicking buy on games, Nate, especially if they're put in front of you. But I'm safe this week. Your wallet is anyway, or your banking out, however you want to view that. This will allow you, if you are an Amazon Prime member, to access the features and functions of Amazon Prime on Linux, specifically around Prime Gaming. Now, there is a perk that gives you a certain access to games and all the other stuff, as early as if you're an Amazon Prime member. There is a nifty little 
CLI application that essentially gives you the... Wait, what? Did you say CLI? Yes. Only because... Let me look at the notes, actually, for a change. Only because <laughs> there is no GUI currently is the only reason I make this recommendation. Okay. It still feels really, really weird to have <laughs> you suggesting a CLI as you are the one on this show that's constantly like... Gooey, gooey, we need a gooey. Where's my gooey? He does whine about that a lot, doesn't he? He does a lot. I generically would say that when are we going to get a gooey? <laughs> um, but anyway, this would also have been the same complaint that I would have had with the base that makes up the heroic launcher about, you know, when it first came out, which was legendary, which is the base for which the heroic launcher is based around. This application is called Nile, like the river. Ironically, you know, typical Linux naming conventions. <laughs> this allows you to access certain features and functions of Prime Gaming. So things like access to the available games that come out occasionally that are free from Prime Gaming, which is a perk of your Amazon Prime account. So this allows you to download them. You can use certain applications like Bottles, which allows you to run those games using bottles uh, from the CLI and stuff. So it's a nice little application for the CLI currently, as it is the only option. And this is the only reason I make this recommendation again, that this is the only option for Linux currently to access prime gaming content. The actual use of it isn't bad for a CLI application. However, I do have certain issues with just it you know cli application <laughs> i think it's a good enough solution currently as there is no other option well i think that's a pretty cool recommendation myself it doesn't have uh, open source instructions but i think those are just pretty much the standard modules there I, I didn't dig into the actual packages you need to install but although not recommended you can use pip to install it so that's cool and i wonder then how do you actually browse the game i ended up needing to launch a luna in order to look at some of the games that are available. Maybe I'm doing it wrong, at least from the Amazon Prime side. I didn't even know you could play games. You didn't know that there were game options with the Amazon Prime. You can log into Amazon from Nile. Yeah, you can download games. You can play. I forgot you could use Wine and or Proton too. I believe it's nileauth.login is the command. If I remember off the top of my head to log in to your Amazon account and then you can start using like the the download commands and all that stuff so hmm. well apparently I've got five games in there that I didn't realize that I had because they've come with Prime there is free games essentially that come out uh, monthly every month or two it's every couple of months at most that Amazon just kind of part of your prime membership kind of like you know the books and movies and all the other stuff that yeah. prime gives you do you generically have to go into i think it's amazon slash gaming or prime gaming i don't remember the exact uh url for it but uh, you have to go in there and just click claim and it'll add it to your library and then hmm. you can go oh, that route so well that's pretty cool i know it's a reliance on amazon and people are sketched with amazon and i understand that but if you are in the ecosystem and you're already a paying member for prime and all the other stuff and it's perks why not access them and limit yourself so another gaming avenue that's a pretty awesome recommendation i don't like to give you a lot of credit but I got to give you credit on this one. I didn't even know they had gaming either. Yes, I sadly have Prime. 
because they are currently the only vendor I can get certain things from. I'm sure I could work harder, but that's like another perk. To correct myself, the perk is gaming, to access it is gaming.amazon.com. And then you just go through and quick claim and then you can go use Nile to download your stuff. And if you want to use bottles, I believe you just have to add tech tech bottles to the installation stuff. Are you going to do a, a video on this? Probably not because it's CLI stuff and I just, <laughs> not much dick. What a pathetic loser. I'm kidding. I know. It's like I want to have like an application more people can use besides esoteric commands that only techies would understand. I think the terminal's fun. We're not going to get into this debate. Not only do you find it fun, but Ulfnik likes the terminal. He does. And we did get some feedback from him on that bringing in new users conversation. And it was kind of fun. If you haven't read it yet, go ahead, go to the discourse forum, check out his comments on it. I got a kick out of them and he did a really, really good job explaining what he thinks and why. I'd say I'm shocked, but it's Wolfnick. And he probably did a more <laughs> succinct job of explaining his position than Matt ever could dream of. Well, there's that. Yeah, because I actually look at bringing in new users. Everybody else wants to keep alive the old esoteric 20 or 30 year old. It's a CLI and only a CLI by looking at our man pages and everything else. And all our help is perception is reality. And unfortunately, that's the reality. I just think, Matt, you don't like fun. That's right. You know what rhymes with fun? Gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was making a bit of a Deadpool reference there, but I couldn't actually say what I know. he says. Um. That's why I said done. <laughs> but, you know, CLI. CLI rhymes with fun. I got disagree. Which is ironic, given the fact that I do the updates for Garuda using Garuda tag update. Yes, that's fantastic. I use Pomac generically when I do, like, app installs, but updating seems to, because it doesn't always pull from the chaotic AUR, right? So that's more of a app issue than anything else. So very cool recommendation, Matt. I really like this. It's not going to cost me anything and I have something new to check out. And it's in your favorite environment, Nate. OpenSUSE? A blinking cursor. Oh, yeah, I like that too. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics. Hit the discourse forum, drop us a line under this video or on the contact form by visiting tuxdigital.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media platforms, see the links at the bottom of the show description. You can find other great shows like Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, Linux Saloon, and more at TuxDigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the Tux Digital merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the gamer-centric I pause my game to be here. I do that every week. Sure. Or join hashtag Team Wendy for some sinister Wendy swag. She is really that sinister, guys. As always, we thank you for joining us, and we'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banner friendly of the conversation, well, somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. You do not pause your game to be here. You still play the game, or you turn us into the game. Either way, there's no yes. pausing of game from your perspective. Yes and no. Physically gaming, no. I do pause my game to be here. Mm. The game of poking at you, I only pause when you're talking mm, and maybe not so much <laughs> at that either yeah only when it's nate